Welcome to Scripture Studies, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Sperling. Today we'll be looking at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. So grab your Bibles, sit back, and open your hearts and minds as we study the Word of God together. Today we'll be continuing our journey through Romans. We're in chapter 2 on the 6th verse, so you can turn there in your Bibles, Romans chapter 2, verse 6. For some context and review, chapters 1 through 3 of Romans contain a single narrative of Paul's. You could look at it really as a single sermon. At the end of chapter 3 of Romans, Paul will give a grand statement of the gospel message with an emphasis on the doctrine of salvation by the grace of God through faith. In order to lead up to that grand statement of the gospel, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul is establishing that everyone on earth, without exception, needs the gospel. Absolutely everyone needs the salvation offered through faith in Christ. And so, in chapter 1, Paul focused on the non-Jews, those without the law, and without the Hebrew Scriptures, without the revelation from God that the Jews had. He established that they're sinners because they disobey the inherent standard of right and wrong which God has given to everyone. And so, because of their sins, they deserve the wrath of God. And so, they need the salvation offered through Christ. Here in chapter 2, Paul is focusing on the Jews, those who do have the revelation of God's law. And Paul is pointing out that they don't live up to that law, and so they also need the salvation offered through Christ. In the next few sections of chapter 2, Paul makes general statements about obedience to the law, pointing out that it's not the mere hearing or knowledge of the law that God wants, but it's the obedience to the law that God requires. This may seem obvious to us, but at the time, the Jews thought that because they were Jews, because they were circumcised, because they were designated as God's chosen people, that they deserved salvation, that they deserved to kind of get a pass for their sins by virtue of that. Conversely, the Jews thought that the non-Jews would be automatically condemned simply because they were non-Jews, simply because they didn't have the revelation of God. Neither of these things is true, as Paul points out here in chapter 2. In fact, if you had to come up with a summary of chapter 2 in a few words, I would say that you could find it in verse 11, which reads, For God does not show favoritism. God is perfectly righteous and perfectly just and perfectly fair. God does not show favoritism. Here in chapter 2, Paul writes of the state of things under the law. Remember, he will state the gospel later towards the end of chapter 3. Before that, what he says in chapters 1 and 2 apply to how things are under the law. And what Paul establishes here in chapter 2 is that the standard that God uses to determine the fate of those who lived under the law before the time of Christ is the same whether they were Jews or Gentiles. That's what Paul was saying when he wrote verse 11, God does not show favoritism. Now when I say the standard that God uses to determine the fate of those who lived under the law, what I mean by fate is 
uh, is whether they'll experience God's wrath or whether they will ultimately receive eternal life. Now, what I just said may possibly come as a surprise to you. Let me say it in slightly different words. In this chapter, Paul speaks of the possibility of eternal life for both non-Jews and Jews who lived before the time of Christ. The reason I said that this may come as a surprise to you is that I've heard Christian pastors and teachers say that anyone who has not had exposure to the gospel of Christ is automatically condemned. I strongly disagree with that view, and I don't believe it's a biblical view, as we'll discuss in the next couple of studies. In fact, Romans chapter 2, I believe, is a refutation of that view, the view that those who have no knowledge of Christ are automatically condemned. Now, from a biblical judgment point of view, there are essentially three types of people in the world. One type is those who know about Christ and know about the gospel of Christ. Another type is those who know God's law but don't know about Christ. These were the Old Testament Jews. The third type is those who only have a God-given inherent knowledge of God. They don't know God's law nor anything about Christ. Those are the people that Paul speaks of in Romans 1 and whom he also touches on in this chapter in order to compare their fates to that of the Jews. Concerning the first group, I think we can all agree that if they don't respond to the gospel with faith in Christ, they will be condemned. There is unambiguous teaching in the Bible about this. Concerning the second group, the Old Testament Jews, this is who we'll talk about today, primarily. But I'll say here now, briefly, in summary of what we'll discuss in a bit, there is pretty much a consensus by Christian biblical scholars that if they sought to carry out the law with faith and trusted in God's mercy for God's forgiveness of their shortcomings, that such a faith was a faith that anticipated Christ and the forgiveness available through him. And so, by that faith, they would have been saved. Concerning the third category, those who don't know of the gospel nor of Christ, and those who don't know of God's law as revealed in the Old Testament, of this group there is less consensus as to how or even if they can be saved. There are some, even many, who think that they can't be saved. I reject this view, and I believe that there is biblical support for a rejection of this view, and I'll get into that in detail in our next study. But to jump the gun a bit, I believe there are indications here in Romans chapter 2 that this group of people are kind of in the same boat as those in group 2, uh, those who know the law but not Christ. Their situation is really the same as the Jews, but to a lesser extent. The Jews had the law and the prophecies about the Messiah, but they weren't really given a clear revelation of Christ like we have now. And so the knowledge of the Jews was an imperfect knowledge, an incomplete revelation. It's the same with the non-Jews, except they have an even more imperfect knowledge and a less complete revelation. And so, I believe it's indicated here in Romans 2 and in other places in the Bible, they will be judged according to that imperfect knowledge. So, 
We'll discuss these things as we study Romans 2 today and in our next study. But first let me point out that there is a general biblical principle that knowledge brings responsibility. The more knowledge that you have, the more responsibility you have to act on that knowledge. A corollary to that principle is that if you have less knowledge, then God will take that into account. Let's look at a few verses that establish this principle. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Unquote. Again, knowledge brings responsibility. More to this subject, let's look at something that Jesus says specifically about those who don't know him or know of him. In John 15:22, Jesus says, quote, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Unquote. Jesus is speaking of the sin of rejecting Christ and the gospel message as taught by his disciples. Again, this clearly indicates that there is a biblical principle, even regarding knowledge of Christ and the gospel, that knowledge brings responsibility. And so, with that long introduction, let's turn to our text this morning, starting in Romans chapter 2, verse 6. As we read this, we need to keep in mind, as I said before, that in chapter 2, Paul is speaking as if the gospel had not yet been revealed. As I said, Paul will reveal the gospel with a grand and glorious statement of it at the end of chapter 3. So in chapter 2, Paul is speaking about those who don't have that revelation of the gospel, or of Christ, or of the things of Christ. In other words, Paul is addressing matters as they exist for the second and third groups of people uh, that we just talked about. Those who know the law but not Christ, or those who only have an internal revelation of God and his law. So let's read our text, verses 6 through 11 of Romans chapter 2, keeping in mind that Paul is speaking to a pre-gospel world. Here's what he said, quote, God will repay to each person according to what they have done, to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism." Unquote. In verse 6 of our passage, Paul writes, quote, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Unquote. Paul is citing an Old Testament scripture here, actually one of two. They're both very similar. He's referencing either Psalm 62.12 or Proverbs 24.12, if you're keeping score. Both of those verses say what Romans 2.6 says, that there are two pretty much identical verses that say this, reflects the fact that this is truly an Old Testament sentiment. It's really the essence of life and death under the law. God will repay to each person according to what he has done. 
Note here that the judgment of God is given to each person. God's judgment, as we talked about in our last study, is not a corporate thing. A whole group is not judged together. You won't be going to Judgment Day together with your family. You won't be going with your church buddies. Um, It will just be you standing before God with Christ at his right hand. This concept is directly opposed to what the Jews believed. The Jews thought that because they were Jews, because they were circumcised and born in a Jewish household, they had a big leg up when it comes to God's judgment. The Jews also thought that the non-Jews were condemned merely because they didn't have the revelation of God's law. Paul's refuting these ideas directly by saying that God will repay to each person according to what he has done. Paul expands on this idea in the rest of our passage this morning, from verse 7 through 11. Let's read those verses again. Quote, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So, Paul basically lays out that there are two possible outcomes uh, when we are judged, eternal life or wrath and anger. These outcomes, as Paul states, are based on whether the person being judged has done good or evil. Every person, when they stand before God on Judgment Day, will be judged by the same standard. There's not a separate standard for Jews versus non-Jews, as the Jews thought nor is there a separate standard for Christians versus non-Christians, nor is there a separate standard for those who lived in the 21st century versus those who lived in the 4th century BC. There's one standard for judgment, good versus evil, to determine eternal life versus wrath. Just as it says in verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Now, You as a Christian might say, but surely I believe in Christ. I don't have to face Judgment Day, do I? Au contraire. In fact, the Bible does testify, even in the New Testament, that, that yes, every human being, including you as a Christian, must face God on Judgment Day. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And he writes in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, Paul here is speaking to Christians, quote, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. But now then you may say, hey, what about John 3.16 and all that, where it says that through Christ my sins are forgiven? 
And the answer to that is yes, your sins are forgiven, but not based on anything that you have done. Your sins are forgiven based on Christ's work on your behalf. So yeah, in the end, your sins are forgiven and you don't have to face punishment for them. But this still does not exempt you from appearing before God on Judgment Day to answer for your sins. Yes, in the end, Christ will intervene on your behalf based on your faith and acceptance of his sacrifice. But there still may be some, actually will be some, shall we say, uncomfortable moments as you stand before God on Judgment Day and answer for your behavior on earth. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Paul will later write about the grace of God and the forgiveness available through Christ. But as I said, here in chapter 2, Paul is focusing on the judgment as it relates to the non-Christian Gentile and the non-Christian Jew. Paul's expounding here the law, not the gospel. And the law says not only that death is the wages of sin, but also that those who keep the precepts of the law shall live by them. Again, let me read verses 7 and 8. Quote, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Note, as I said, Paul is writing in the framework of the Old Testament law. And here, he seems to indicate that eternal life is possible in that framework. For those who, as Paul says, quote, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. Paul is intimating here that there was eternal life available to the faithful, even under the law. And that makes sense to us, right? I mean, we don't think that Abraham was condemned just because he lived before the time of Christ, or David, or Job, or Elijah, etc. Surely, salvation was available to them, wasn't it? On the other hand, you might ask, isn't eternal life only to be had through Christ? To this I answer, and, and Paul would answer, yes, unequivocally. Christ himself teaches us this in John 14, 6. He said, quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, unquote. And so we need to reconcile these things. And in fact, Paul does reconcile these things in Romans 4, where he talks about the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. We'll get to that in a later study when we cover chapter 4. So let's leave that passage for then. There's another passage in the Bible that goes into detail about the faith of the Old Testament saints, and that's Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, as you may know, is the so-called, quote, hall of faith. It speaks in detail of the great faith of some of the preeminent Old Testament figures. It's a terrific chapter, beautifully written, describing their great faith. I hereby assign it as homework to you to read Hebrews 11 uh, in the next day or so. Take some time to read or reread this great passage of Scripture. We won't read the entire contents of that chapter today, but we'll look at the context of it and some parts of it. 
Because Hebrews 11 is such a great chapter in and of itself, we tend to possibly overlook the context of it. We just jump to Hebrews 11 and read it, not realizing what comes before it or after it. The writer of Hebrews is really answering the question for us about how the Old Testament saints were saved, how they too were saved by faith and saved through Christ, even though they didn't have the revelation and knowledge of Christ. Their strong faith in God, as demonstrated by their service to God, was a faith, in effect, in anticipation of Christ. And through this faith, they receive the same rewards as those today who believe in Christ. So let's look at Hebrews 11 and its context, because I think it sheds light on this question of how the Old Testament saints were saved. Now again, Hebrews 11 speaks of the faith and perseverance in their faith of the great Old Testament figures, such as Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac, etc. So let's, let's look at the context of this great chapter by looking at the verses that lead up to that chapter. Leading up to Hebrews chapter 11, in chapter 10, the writer is encouraging Christians to persevere in their faith even through difficult times, especially given the greatness of the gospel and the grace that we have through Christ. The writer touches on, interestingly, the concept that knowledge brings responsibility. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, here's what it says, quote, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Unquote. See what he's saying here? It was bad enough to reject the law and not obey it, but we Christians have a knowledge of Christ and the grace available through Christ, so if you, you reject that, then you really deserve punishment. Because, of course, the grace of God through Christ is such a great gift and such an easier path to salvation that if you know about it and reject it, then you really deserve condemnation. So again, he's essentially saying that knowledge brings responsibility. Then the writer continues and tells Christians that they should persevere in good works, even through difficult times, because they have the knowledge of Christ and the salvation offered through Christ. This knowledge should be an incentive to persevere in their service of God. This is summarized in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Let me read them for you. Quote, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised." Unquote. So, in the light of the rich rewards that we will receive as believers in Christ, 
We need to persevere both in faith and in good works, even through difficult times. Then, in the last verse of Hebrews 10, leading into the great chapter of Hebrews 11, the writer says this, Hebrews 10, verse 39, quote, But we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved, unquote. This is important because this directly leads into Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer talks about the faith not of Christians, but of the Old Testament saints. Yet, to lead into it, he says that we're to stand with those who have faith and are saved. Then he goes on to describe those who have faith and are saved. And yet, he doesn't speak about Paul or Barnabas or Peter or, or Timothy. He speaks about Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Moses. In other words, the Old Testament heroes were also saved by faith. And yet their faith was more difficult than ours because it was a faith in the unseen, the unknown. We have Christ, so our faith is easy. They had to have faith in the unseen, in the unknown. The writer illustrates this with Moses in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27. Quote, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible." Unquote. Surprisingly, the writer said that Moses suffered for the sake of Christ, even though he didn't know Christ or have the revelation of Christ. But his faith was in anticipation of Christ in that he believed that if he led a godly life to the best extent that he could in human weakness, if he obeyed God's principles and forsook the fleeting pleasures of the world in anticipation that his obedience would be rewarded, this in effect, according to the writer of Hebrews, was faith in Christ. Moses, as it says in verse 27, saw him who is invisible. He saw Christ in that he anticipated the work of Christ, anticipated Christ in the sense that he had faith that God would provide a way to salvation, that God would forgive his sins and allow him to enter into glory. This is the saving faith of the Old Testament saints. We're told as much in the last two verses of the chapter. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. These, he's speaking of the Old Testament saints here, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Unquote. So, our salvation is the same as their salvation. We'll enter into glory at the same time that they'll enter into glory and on the same basis, faith in Christ. 
In our case, faith in Christ is revealed to us in the New Testament. In their case, a much more difficult faith, a faith in the unknown, the unrevealed, the unseen Christ, a faith in anticipation of Christ, a faith that as they served God humbly, their faith would be rewarded, their sins would be forgiven, God would provide a way. We hope you enjoyed today's study. If you're interested in other studies in this series, visit scripturestudies.com. That's scripturestudies, all one word, dot com. Or just Google Scripture Studies by Scott Sperling, and you're sure to find the site. The background music is licensed through Pond5. The theme music and interludes are by Scott Sperling, all rights reserved. Until we meet again, Live well, serve the Lord with passion, and always lean on the Holy Spirit. May the Lord be with you in all your endeavors. Amen.